Kung Fu Cowboy Tennis shoes on my feet I'm a Kung Fu Cowboy Hamburgers to eat I'm a Kung This Fu is Kung Fu Cowboy, cowboy. The Kung Fu Cowboy and a Cat Named Bear podcast. And this is episode 007. And uh, it's the Kung Fu Cowboy podcast, but for many years, well, since 2014, it's 2021 now, so for seven years, I honestly thought I was going to capitalize on my uh, cat. (laughs) Much the same as I thought I was going to be able to capitalize on my kids, too. But... um, uh, but yeah, that's anyway. I'm it's just me and my cat now, and and I've got all kinds of great videos of him and things, and uh, he's always around. And whenever I'm doing something, he's he'll probably interrupt us in a minute. He's in there having a snack right now, but uh, he whenever he hears me talking, he's got to get in on the action, so he'll probably join us in a second. Ah, what I tell you, there he is. Hello there, buddy, scratching on the door. Okay, so anyway, Bear's here, <laughs> like I said. So I might as well continue uh, including him, and and uh, hopefully uh, you'll enjoy a lot of the videos and pictures I've got that I had never posted of him yet. So uh, anyway, and plus he's in the Kung Fu Cowboy movie. He actually enters at the end of the movie, and uh, then he's in the second uh, movie. I don't know if I'd continue him much more than that. He's not really that well trained and doesn't probably appreciate the noise and the lights and the action. So he's not really probably much of a studio cat, are you, buddy? But he's always available, and he's always with me. And in fact, when I go on set to make my Kung Fu Cowboy movies, I got nobody to take care of him, not even my kids. So so uh, he's going to have to be with me no matter what. So if I'm, I'll have to have a trailer, and he'll be in the trailer waiting for me when I'm on set. And then maybe sometimes, like I said, we'll, we'll put him on camera if we can get him to cooperate. <laughs> no guarantees on that. But uh, he's, he's a little bit more, well, he traveled with me in my car for, what, five years. So he's a little bit more adept at uh, people and traveling and, and moving around than most cats. That's for darn sure. So, okay. Anyway, here we are. Kung Fu Cowboy and a Cat Named Bear. Episode 007. And I'm looking at my notes. I actually started these videos a couple of years ago in my car. And then the last year, I haven't done anything on them, and now I'm resurrecting them. So I'm going to try to make some consistent headway here because i got all kinds of things I'd like to share with you. And if I don't do these podcasts, you're not going to get to experience a lot of these things. So I'm kind of forcing myself to do it for your benefit, even though there's actually only a few people following me right now or anything. So it's really for the future. And uh, my imagination and belief in myself makes me think that someday people are going to be interested in what I'm doing and saying. So here we go. Um... Let's see. Yeah, in fact, uh, let's see. In my notes here, the Kung Fu Cowboy is Shaolin. I'm Northern Shaolin Kung Fu. No karate whatsoever. None whatsoever. And uh, not much of the Southern style. I started in Southern style, but uh, I'd say like only like a half a percent maybe. Now, it's, there's a few exercises I got uh, for Douglas Wong Sil Lum School when I studied there for a couple of years. And so I've got a couple exercises and, and you know, and my thanks to him for kickstarting me. But he, um, I've only actually come to realize, you know, the actual truth of his existence in the last few years. Well, I, I kind of started running into him again in 2015, uh, six years ago. And then over the last few years, <clears throat> I've kind of realized that he was made most of, well, I don't want to talk badly. Of him. He's my first master, and so we're going to leave it at that. And I really thank him for all the training and things I did get from him. But I really became Shaolin when I was studying under Cam Yuan. He was northern Shaolin. 
and that was in 1981, because uh, I was, <clears throat> and I started with him. And then uh, in 1994, I think, I started working with Wong Jack Man, who was his instructor. So I kind of moved up the food chain. My grandmaster became my master, and my master became my, my kung fu brother, because now we're sharing the same master, although he, I didn't share his uh, praying mantis masters. Um, the, uh, but anyway, um, I'm Northern Shaolin. And uh, and really happy to say that <laughs> I'm really happy with the style I've got, the the traditions, the forms, and the lineage that I'm a, a part of. It's a very rare, and and in fact, I don't understand why people aren't aren't kissing my butt to be part of my school because I I come from a very fa a famous lineage right to the Shaolin Temple. And uh, so anyway, I spent a few years, as I've mentioned, and I want to stop mentioning. You got to move past that now. But I was homeless for a number of years. And during those years, I uh, wore a kung fu jacket all the time and taught classes all I could, which kind of fizzled out over the years and uh, didn't teach that much. And But anyway, I was the kung fu cowboy, wearing a cowboy hat and a kung fu jacket and writing my books and working at the library mostly and living at the park. And so anyway, I was a, a Shaolin Zen monk. And I remember one of, one of my... Uh, Kung Fu Brothers mentioned when I called myself a Shaolin monk. He says, you can't be a monk. You're not homeless. <laughs> I might have already mentioned that. Uh, but anyway, uh, I've definitely been homeless and teaching Shaolin, so I've been a Shaolin monk. And I, I'm moving indoors, and I have no interest in moving outdoors or camping or anything anymore. I've had it. I, when I was a kid, I loved camping and being out in the wilderness, and I hitchhiked across Canada a couple of times and, you know, slept in the snow and all kinds of stuff. And and uh, burrowed into the brush, you know, to stay warm. Uh, but anyway, I've spent my time outdoors hunting and camping, and I'm done with it. Uh, I'm done. I've, well, I'm 67 years old now, so believe me, I've had plenty of time and years outdoors. So I'm anxious to live indoors and get my work done and enjoy technology as much as I can. But I think I can still call myself a Zen monk, a Zen master, a Shaolin master. Um, now I've got the next thing here is the soundtrack album. Okay, so there are... Yeah, there's a whole bunch of uh, of uh, kung fu cowboy movies, and uh, I've uh, written well out of the um, well. Yeah, it's a little complicated, but yeah, if there's there's six to eight movies, depending on how much I condense things, and uh, probably eight movies really is what it should be because I got so much stuff and I've spent so many years writing these screenplays. There's tons of stuff in there. And uh, usually your first movie or your first record or your first book or your first music album is always your best because you've had all those years to put something in it. But in my case, man, they're all going to be great because I've been just funneling all this information into all of them. So they've all been fleshed out. It's not like I have to say, okay, now i got to make a sequel to that last movie. No, it's all right. I've already written the sequels. And I've made the sequels so that they tie into the first ones. And so now they're kind of all balanced out. It's like one big eight-movie story. And so... Um, I couldn't do without any of them, and if I did, I'd have to condense them, and if I did condense them, I'd have to throw something away, and I got so much information in there, and by the time I write them, there'll be more, and I'd love to have some other writers come in, and one of my goals is actually to teach lessons of spirituality and philosophy in my books and stories, so I would love for nothing more than to have some other people come in with, with philosophical concepts and things that I might not have thought of, you know, people with maybe Shakespearean experience uh, who want to basically say, well, this story and this theme you know, you could integrate some of this and I say, oh, yeah, it's a good idea. And I can flesh out this character a little bit more in this way. So at some point, all of my movies may get fleshed out and become even bigger if I can actually hire some people to, you know, help me, you know, put a little bit more 
meat into the meat. So, okay, but anyway, in terms of the soundtrack album, you need to go to kungfucowboy.com. I haven't actually updated it in years. It's 2021 now, and uh, I haven't really updated it, but there's a ton of stuff there, and uh, most people you know, aren't visiting there because I'm not famous, so you probably haven't seen it either. So go there. There's a whole bunch of cool stuff. In fact, Scott Carahadian created a, a, a soundtrack montage of all the songs that he thought had to be in the first movie, and then he created a montage of all those songs, uh, and that's that's there. It's like 20 minutes long of, you know, samples and pieces or whole I don't know. It, it's a cool thing. I haven't even listened to it in a few years, but there's all kinds of stuff there, but in terms of the soundtrack uh, album news, uh, that's what I'm saying. Go there and see what I've already got there. There's a whole bunch of stuff there. Now, I'm supposed to read to you from the uh, Super Soul. We're going to read the Super Soul 13, because this is actually written when I was making that first Kung Fu Cowboy movie. I had $19 million, actually, uh, invested into the movie. And uh, we ended up losing it because we found out that some of it was being laundered uh, from the Panama from a Panama bank, and there were some illegal things going on when it went through Germany. And uh, so people were, 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 were pumping in some... It, anyway, it, it's a shame. I mean, I had access to uh, $19 million moot, uh, in money to make that uh, movie. And uh, ended up not using it because I didn't want to end up in jail. Because <laughs> some of that, mo- that money was not legitimate. And so anyway... Um, so, yeah, I can't talk too much about it because I don't want to get sued for libel and slander. But, uh, yeah, let them, let them prove differently and give me that money again yeah, and prove that it's good. But, no, they couldn't do that when I asked them to. And when the bank asked them to, they wouldn't. So, hey, that, that's all there was to it. If they could have just shown that the money was legitimate and, and everything, then, then I would have it. But they weren't willing to go that extra distance, distance to, to prove that it was good money. So I didn't get it. So I'm trying to make my money doing other things. Buy my records, buy my books, something. Give me some money to work with so I can pay for these movies myself and be the executive producer. Okay, I'm reading from Super Soul 13, and these are the raves. And that's all I'm going to do right now is read the raves right now. So here we go. These are the raves. And this was the raves from, this book was published in 2014. It's actually called Super Soul 13 because it's about the year 2013 when we were making the movie. And like I said, got that 19 million bucks and almost made it. So it's a cool book, and it's all the things that were happening at that time, which were really kind of cool. So anyway, um, this is the raves. We're still in the beginning, uh, the introduction of the book. Here we go. Uh, this first rave is by a Brahmin, I think. Um, oh, no, this is by Scott Carahadian, my co-filmmaker, uh, the co-writer of the screenplay. In fact, we actually, um, a year later, after this book was even published, we won first place in a uh, film festival for the screenplay. But here we go. Scott says... Uh, about this book, Super Soul 13, insightful and thought-provoking writings on God and religion. Richard Connor, Buddha Z, also known as the Hippie Coyote of the American Zen rock band, has created an enlightening, personal, and accessible work about the nature of God and reconciling spirituality with religion. In many ways, I see it as a response to the state of religion in America today, As we've become increasingly wary of religion, less firm and more vague in our overall belief systems, we become more confused as ever. Here, Connor is attempting to make sense of it all, and he does so in a way that is very accessible and accepting of different schools of thought. If you are part of a particular religious faith, you should not be dissuaded from reading this book, because it will open up your it will open your mind to a broader perspective, particularly when it be, 
when it comes to other religions you might not know about. I can say that as a Christian, reading this book strengthened my faith and broadened my mind and understanding of the world. Even if you don't reach a new enlightenment from... Uh, let me start that again. Even if you don't reach a new enlightenment through this book, it is valuable as a record of one man's experiences which are fascinating and well-observed. I admire Connor's candidness in sharing about his life and the trials of homelessness, poverty, and divorce. His triumph over these hardships is inspiring and makes his story of spiritual reawakening all the more credible and inspiring. I recommend this book to everyone. And that was Scott Carahadian, a filmmaker. And we disagreed about a lot of stuff, so it was nice to get a compliment from him. And he's not one to, you know, give me any flattery. <laughs> but he was one of the few people I was able to force into studying it, reading it, and giving me a, a, a review. And he's a good writer. And like I said, he, he could, you know, so as a Christian, he, he gave me that. He even qualified it accordingly. Uh, this is Tulsi Ram or Ram, and he's a casting agent I met, and he's uh, Indi from India, and uh, very religious, and he um, was very impressed by the book, and he actually was a good re reference for me. We became friends at the uh, temple down there in Venice, California, and he recommended and connected me with a bunch of other people and such, and when I finished the book, I gave it to him, and, and here's what he said. Our talented friend Richard Del Connor has taken much effort to fully understand and assimilate the Gaudiya Vaishnava, I don't know how to say it properly, Gaudiya Vaishnava, I'm not sure, philosophy, as expounded by His Grace Srila A.C. Bhaktivedanta Prabhupada, I may be saying those names wrong, in his version and enlightened commentaries <clears throat> excuse me, of the Hindu scripture, Bhagavad Gita. <laughs> See, he knows more about this than I do. He knows these people and where it comes from and everything. Because, uh, he, like I said, he's actually a Hindu. So, so this is a Hindu commenting on my commenting on the Hindu religion. He continues, Richard has dwelled deeply on its fine points of spiritual philosophy and made many intelligent commentaries on his own. I highly recommend his book to all seekers of the eternal spiritual truth. Tulsi Ram, casting agent. And he's kind of a famous casting agent. He's done a bunch of big movies and stuff. So, so that, that, that was a big thing to get that from him and to have him say it like that. And like I said, he's an expert. <laughs> he knows, hey, I think I'm recording. Uh, right where the uh, <laughs> the phone rang. Uh, but yeah, it was one of my students uh, canceling his class for tonight, rescheduling for next week. So uh, yeah, I, so I'm actually teaching classes on Zoom. I'm doing a Zoom Kung Fu classes. Well, it's the first semester, so I teach the Tai Chi Chuan short form the first semester. Um, so let's see, continuing on with our podcast here. Um, the... Let's see, where were we? Finished the raves. Um, oh, an ad for the Super Soul 13. And, uh, and, and I've asked myself a question here. Why does charity feel good? Well, according to the Super Soul 13 book, the reason it feels good is because 
The second soul, the super soul, there's a your soul and the super soul. The super soul is a piece of God. That's like the little black box that goes back to God when you die. That's how, as they say, when you get judged. Well, if there is that concept, that would be a way to actually explain it, is that God actually is going to get that little piece of that soul. Now, by the time I was done studying this concept for a year or so, I actually got um, very dismayed at the concept that all the evil people, the ugly people, the deceitful people, the dishonest people, all those pieces of those people went into God. So now God is basically a mixture of all of this evil of the last, what, 50,000 years of humans, you know, that maybe have a piece of him that returned to him, you know, and he's become what? What would that make God into? And are there more good people than bad? I don't think so. At least that's not my statistical experience. So unfortunately, but let's not get into that. That's kind of a negative. But why does charity feel good? It's because that piece you got from God is hopefully a good piece of God. <laughs> so that what you do is God appreciates your helping other people. So when you do the same, the two souls kind of harmonize and you feel like you're in harmony with yourself. But if you're in conflict with yourself or you feel guilty or regretful, that's because you're doing something that's different than the God soul. And uh, and now in, uh, an advertisement for my Kung Fu school that I just mentioned, the Shaolin Chi Mantis online Kwun, that's at uh, um, www.shaolininteractive.com. Com. And that's where I'm building a bunch of websites. In fact, I was just studying some videos on, I'm going to probably pay a hundred bucks a year to get a video player that will work better for my classes. I can make chapters and markers. So after you've seen the video, you can more easily go back to the sections you want of the form. Oh, I just want to go back to where he was teaching me that new form. So you, can, you don't have to scroll through and try to find it. You can actually find it really easy with these chapter markers and things. And uh, so anyway, uh, I, I may pay a I may do that. And it, this, and it, there's this whole new web service that I might be able to afford better uh, called bunny.net, or I think that's it. And uh, it's in Germany, and you just pay for the traffic. And so since I'm not going to have that much traffic in my school, you know, people, but they're huge videos, but there aren't going to be, well, it'd be nice there's thousands of people when we could afford <laughs> to, to pay for it. But anyway, you only get paid for what people use. So I'm thinking, wow, that's a lot better than paying, you know, $75 a month to Vimeo or maybe $50 a month I might be able to skate by, but maybe not because they only let you upload so much content and I've got got huge videos. And so I, I don't know if I could upload them fast enough to get the courses up there before people need them. So I've been really in a conflict trying to figure out how to afford the hosting, which I can't afford because I'm not making any money and I'm not selling any of those videos. I can't afford to just be uploading them and paying $50 or $75 a month when I'm still not even making any money off them. But with this other service, the minimum is only a dollar a month and then I pay when people are using them. And so, hey, it's, I just discovered that this afternoon. And so that may help me to start building the website sooner because I'm not actually uploading any of the videos um, because I can't afford to. So anyway, but yeah, Shaolin Interactive. I'll get it ready before you get there. I've got 200 videos done of the 350. I need to actually finish the beginner level. And then I'm going to jump over to the nonprofit and then I'm going to do Buddha Kung Fu. And then I'm going to come back, hopefully by the, before I'm 80 years old and start teaching all the swords and spears of Shaolin Chi Mantis. Ah, yeah, man. I uh, wish I could have started this 20 years ago. 
or 30 years ago is when I really should have started it. But anyway, um, so Shaolin Chi Mantis online school, and I got a comment here. Are you the minimum or maximum of what you could be? And that's what Shaolin Interactive or Shaolin Chi Mantis is my school that's right now supplying the programs. And then I've got two other schools, but our, my schools will make you your maximum. If you're not, in fact, I'm not even doing as many classes as I could a week, so I'm not even at my maximum. I'm not as flexible as I could be if I was teaching more classes every week. I used to do 10 to 14 classes a week, and now I'm only doing two or three. It's really, <laughs> well, actually, I've added a few more. Now that I'm teaching these uh, online Zoom classes, that adds another few a week. So now I'm up to about five a week. So it's like, yeah, I'm really appreciating that. I've got another note here. I was going to be playing live flute on here. Uh, not that anybody seems to care. I don't seem to have much of a fan club going right now. But um, but I've got is the name of the song I was going to do. I thought that was funny. I just kind of said but. But anyway, But I've Got is a song that I was going to play flute to. It was. It's actually on an album that hasn't been released by American Zen. It's the part two of the Kung Fu Cowboy album. And it was 36, albums, 36 songs, so I only released the first 18, which is part one, and the other 18, all I got to do is add some flute solos and mix it, and that, that album's done, but heck, nobody cares. I hardly sold any of the part one yet. That's why I became homeless. Uh, I released that album in 2010, and I became homeless in 2012, so if I would have sold a bunch of albums, that wouldn't, I wouldn't have become homeless. So, yeah, my marketing, i am got to take credit for not being a good marketing person. But anyway, uh, and an album ad for Who is Krishna? Uh, why, why is that an album ad? Um, which album am I selling? Uh, I do have, uh, as a Buddha Jen, I have the Tai Chi Magic One album. But let's see. Let's wrap this up here. And uh, where are we here? Um, yeah, that's it. Okay, so um, I'm going to give you a couple of songs on here today. And uh, in fact, I think I already picked them out. Um, uh, but that was a, like an hour ago. Hold on. What, what were those songs? I, uh, I got you the Kung Fu Cowboy 2 song, which is kind of incomplete. It's a, it's a rough draft of the, my upcoming album. It doesn't have the trombones on it. So it's just kind of the rough tracks. Um, but that, I'm going to put that on the intro right now. And I can't wait to put the trombones on it. And uh, for the outro song, uh, what did I have on there? I was going to put something else on there. Well, whatever it is, it is. And you're going to get something kind of cool. What is it? Well, maybe I'll put that song, but I've got. But I, Oh, I know what it was. Um, the new website. I, sh I should mention that. Uh, the scorpionresurrection.com website. I just, I'm just i just fleshing it out and finishing it. It's been, I actually started it about 2000, gosh, 2012, 13, 2013. Yeah, eight years ago. I built it. I made a really kind of cool little website, but didn't seem to do much. And it just sat there for years. And then uh, with this new album I'm coming out with and hopefully the movies, you know, that was what it was supposed to be for. I've got a reason to now kind of finish it. So I've kind of been, I put some work into it and maybe enough that I'm willing to have you look at it right now. Scorpionresurrection.com. And the song on the front page of it right now is House of Rejection. So that's the song I was going to put on the end here. And you can go to that homepage and right now it's on there. But by the time you go to that homepage, that song may change. It may change the homepage. But right now, that House of Rejection is on the homepage over there, too. So you don't have to listen to this podcast, the whole thing, to get this song, either. So go over there, and you get House of Rejection. And the Kung Fu Cowboy 2 song will be coming up soon. The Cowboy, Kung Fu Cowboy 1 is on the um, that album I just mentioned, the Kung Fu Cowboy Part 1 by American Zen. It's the first song on the album. 
And so anyway, there you go. Um, let, let me get out of here. And well, I thought I was going to have to hurry out of here and teach a Kung Fu class, but he canceled. So see you soon. Kung Fu Cowboy and Bear. Where'd he go? I just saw him a minute ago. He's on my bed over there. All right. See you. Bye. They're kind of smart. It was amazing what I did with them. They were B and A students, you know, B plus students, A minus students when I raised them. But the moment I stopped raising them, they went down to D students. It was like, what? I didn't think it was all me. I thought I was just helping them. But anyway, um, so that's how I know I can make people smarter. But where were we? Um, the philosophy of eight levels. So the first level is just peace of mind. The second level is where you add religion and slogans and, and you fight each other and you kill each other and say, my religion's better than yours and so I need to kill you to prove it. Something like that. I don't know. And then uh, uh, the third level is um, I want you to love me. And that's basically the Buddhism level. That's where Buddhism starts. It's above religion. It's where you say, okay, all the religions have something good to say. And all the things that I don't like, you're going to say, I'm just going to tune you out <laughs> so I can get along with you. And that's, that's the level three where you accept everybody. Same with races and nationalities and everything, you know. Uh, you know, you, you can accept all nationalities. Even if you don't like spicy food, you can still like Mexican people. And uh, if you... If, if you um, uh, if you don't like sour, sour food, you can still like German people, <laughs> sauerkraut. So anyway, you, you can basically ignore the, the things you don't like and, and you'll, you'll find something you like, like, so, like with my cat. Um, but that's the third level where you accept everybody and try to love everybody for what good you can find in them. And then the level four is where you actually learn how to make people healthier and happier. And that's where you become like a, a not just a, a person who's enjoying other people, it's like, hey, let me help you to learn how to enjoy. So you, you're actually smart enough to be able to help people be smarter. And so that's the fourth level, the Kung Fu Cowboy, where you're out there helping people to be smarter. And uh, then the fifth level and the sixth level were surprisingly when I joined the Lakota Sioux and uh, became a pipe carrier and the, did my vision quest on the Rosebud, the Pine Ridge Reservation. Uh, the chief called me an elder of the tribe. And I can mention all kinds of famous people you'd know that, you know, I befriended and said, oh, come visit me anytime. And unfortunately, being a Mr. Mom and not getting away from my kids 24-7, I didn't take advantage of a lot of those things. And I kind of regret it because some of those people are dead now. And uh, But, yeah, I was quite the... Um, I was totally immersed in the American, in American Native American Lakota Sioux traditions and their religious ceremonies and the pipe ceremonies and and everything. So that's what the fifth and sixth level are. So they're basically a different type of spirituality that's not really a religion and not really rules. It was harmonizing with nature and accepting nature. And, and then the uh, um, sixth level is, is realizing that you're, you're dedicating yourself to the tribe, to your culture, to your city, to your state, to your country. Um, so that's, it's, that's a kind of a higher level of raising a family, except now you're giving yourself to the community. So that's the, the level um, six. And then the level seven was end of the line. And that's where I was homeless and uh, in my car and I was making my Kung Fu Cowboy movies. And, uh, and that was just kind of realizing my independence, my individuality and, uh, and, and well, I was kind of abandoned and left for out there, but I kind of just was a lone spirit, you know, and, and, and you've got to come to that reality that if you are going to die and there is a spiritual world out there, you know, you don't have a family. There's no such, such thing as family in the spirit world. You don't go find your relatives and move in with them, you know, when you're after you're dead. You know, you got to learn how to basically be an individual spirit. That's why most people reincarnate. They can't handle that. You know, they can't be just an individual spirit out there floating around with a purpose or just trying to discover a purpose. They can't even figure that out while they're alive. And uh, 
And, and then the level eight is actually the Memorial Day album. And that was, uh, I recorded that in 2014 on Memorial Day. And I had always known that the, the last album, like I said, that you've got to kind of like get your spirit ready for death in a sense in level seven, kind of come to the meaning of life and get past mortal reality and, and materialism and then go into a, um, a spiritual life. And so that's what I was kind of doing in level seven. And then level eight was, I didn't know how, I figured level eight's got to have some connection to the afterlife. You've got to basically have some one foot in the grave or something. You got to know what death really is. You know, I figured, okay, I didn't have any, when I started the eight levels and I was raising my daughter in 1991, I, I had no idea, you know, what that eighth level was going to be, but I thought somehow I got to, you know, have my foot, you know, in the spiritual world. Well, it, it kind of was the weirdest thing. They kind of came to me, and I talked about that, I think, a little bit in the last podcast. They, uh, on Memorial Day, I had these, like, voices in my head, which maybe were ghosts. Maybe they were just my imagination. Maybe I'm so creative, you know, that, yeah, wow, I could invent people in my brain. <laughs> but they told me these stories, which, you know... Um, uh, which maybe one day we'll flesh out and I can provide the details and we might even be able to figure out who those real people were in real life. But um, yeah, but anyway, in that case, uh, that's not how I was planning to do it or what I expected, but I considered, okay, that's level eight then. Okay, uh, that was my connection to the spiritual world, you know, talking to dead people. So anyway, that that's the eighth level of, so it's an eight level journey, Americans then. Uh, so where were we? Um, uh, the RDC story, uh, level one, raising Caitlin. Yeah, I raised my daughter uh, 24-7. Uh, my wife had a great job working for Xerox, and we had insurance, and, uh, you know, we had enough to support ourselves. And then I made enough money in my kung fu to, to basically cover my own expenses so I can have my recording company and and uh, and have start my own, have my own business, you know. And, and so even though we were kind of separated, kind of divorced, um, we had a weird kind of marriage. I mean, we were never legally married. Well, what we did was, um, uh, we I just we decided we decided I we both decided I said you know do you want to have a baby you know do you want to just actually make a baby on purpose, and we decided yeah that would be a cool thing and uh, uh, and it was it, when I've spent my whole life trying not to have a baby and sex is a lot of fun even then but when you can have sex you know and you're actually trying to make a baby it's well, it's even more fun. <laughs> so I got to say. So anyway, so um, uh, so we have yeah. Where were we? Um, uh, yeah. So yeah, too, I got too much into my memory there. Um, but yeah. So level one is about that having a family. We decided to have a family, and I was going to stay home and raise the kid and have my own business, and she would go off and have a job and. You know, and that was somehow we'd make that harmonize. And, and for about four years, it really worked great. We had a really good family. I thought we had a good family. Evidently, she didn't because, like I said, she ended up leaving me. But, um, yeah, so anyway, no, I don't want to get into the negative because, like I said, this Level 1 album is a real positive. I Actually, the, the last song on the album is called Thank You. And it's written to Michelle. It even says, thank you, Michelle. At the very end, I, I just, when I was done singing, I say, thank you, Michelle. <laughs> so, so you know, that, that album is about totally appreciating her and enjoying it and enjoying the family and believing that it was going to really last forever. So, so anyway, so get that album. That's a lovely, romantic, loving family album. And so, yeah, level one equals peace of mind by American Zen. So, let's see. Oh, uh, now I'd planned this thing, uh, remember, several years ago. And uh, the end song, um, I was like I said, I was going to try to do the pictures of home again and try to play flute to it, but that's not going to happen, at least not today. And so um, the song I, I 
I scribbled into here uh, is what do we have now, which kind of relates to it. It's about love that you think is going to last forever. And it's actually written kind of about the, uh, it was inspired by an Ingrid Bergman movie in which she was a uh, suffering from, uh, a Jew who was kind of like during the middle of World War II and hiding and during the ho Holocaust, but you know, it's in Europe. And it, it was a beautiful story, black and white, I think. I saw it, you know, about 30 years ago, but this, it was just so moving to me, the, the love or whatever, or the drama of that. And, and, and so the song, uh, What Do We Have Now? Well, I actually wrote that in 1977. So sheesh, I must have seen that when I was a kid, uh, that movie. But uh, what do we have now is about two people who are in a war and they're under a bridge. And it even says as the soldiers, you know, are parading over the bridge and you're hiding underneath it, eating a can, a rusted can of pork and beans, you know, and you're with this woman and you're just saying, I'm just so glad to be with you and I love you. And even in the most dire, scary, dirty, you know, depressed, wretched situation to have someone you love and be there and, and sharing that love. That's what the song is. It's about. It's a story of watching people be assassinated and killed right in front of you as you're hiding in, in the bushes, you know, behind a picket fence. It's, it's a, yeah, it's a dramatic song. What do we have now? But it's about love. It, it's about what do we have now? And it's saying that, well, what we have now is our love. And, uh, and, and unfortunately, as I was saying in a different podcast series, I was talking about, well, does love really exist? And, you know, I've always thought it did, obviously. I mean, look at me writing these songs about love will, you know, survive, you know, murder and killing and and starvation and <laughs> poverty. So I honestly had this weird concept that love actually could be the surviving, perpetuating factor. And I've always had that until, I guess, the last decade when I lost my family, lost my kids, lost my wife, lost my everything and got nothing now. And... Uh, and realize that, wow, I had all that love, you know, and uh, I never cheated on her or did anything bad to her. I never beat, beat my kids or my wife or, you know, wasn't a drunken father. I never drank. And uh, so all the negative things that most people accept and still, you know, and the kids still love their parents even after getting beaten up by them when they're drunk, you know. And my, my kids don't have the bad memories, but they still, I still don't have the relationship. So it, there's a few things about it that I'll always resent, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> You know, because I still love my kids. In fact, uh, one last, in fact, every morning, even when I was homeless, I'd always wake up thinking of my kids because I did that for so many years. The first thing I would do is worry about my kids. I have to wake them up, get them dressed, get them clean, maybe showered. Well, I always showered them the night before, and uh, uh, get them off to school. And so my first thing when I woke up for years, even when I was homeless, was I'd always think of my kids. And then I'd get all depressed, and I'd think about it, and I got more depressed thinking about my kids. And I always thought, well, as soon as I get a house and I get a girlfriend or something, you know, that'll break that cycle. Well, the only th I finally, after years and years, I mean, I'm, I'm talking like, I don't know how many, 10 years, 10 years? Yeah, 10 years of thinking of my kids every day and they were gone after they'd left me and I still thought of them every morning. The one thing that actually broke me of that mental cycle was when I was in the uh, homeless shelter. And uh, boy, I was in a, a small, you know, 10 by 10 room with four beds with just enough room for two people to walk between them. And that's it. Four beds in a, in a 10 by 10 room. And uh, and there was, you know, three other criminals. Well, one guy was a murderer. The other guy was a uh, junkie and a crack salesman. And the other guy was a, dr a drunk and a crack addict. 
<laughs> you know, and then snoring and farting and coughing and and uh, and then fighting to get into the uh, bathroom in the morning, you know, to get a shower every day. Uh, it was uh, that broke me of that system. I stopped thinking about my kids. That was, and I haven't. I don't think about them now when I wake up. Uh, I mean, maybe once in a while, but very rarely now. But that's what broke me of that of that that thing in my brain that I was trained myself. I was a family tool, remember? <laughs> so I was, I was literally programmed to always think of my kids first thing in the morning when I woke up. And that lasted 10 years when they were gone. And I was living all by myself. I still thought of them every single morning. But yeah, it wasn't until I got into that homeless shelter that, that it broke me of that. And I didn't think of them the first thing in the morning. <laughs> and, and, and I realized that after about a year, I go, hey, I'm not thinking about my kids every morning. you know. So, but that's what broke that chain. That's when I stopped being the family tool was, yeah, being in that little prison. And uh, it was kind of like a prison, but I could leave whenever I wanted. But if you were gone for three days, you lose your bed. And, uh, yeah, it, it was, uh, yeah. Yeah, 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 I got stories and poems about that place. We'll get to that later in the Philosopher Poet series. This is actually, the Philosopher Poet, th these poems were actually written when I was living there. These were when I first moved. No, actually, hell, some of these were written when I was, I spent six months at the Martin Luther King Hospital. I recuperated from a surgery. And then after the surgery, I qualified for Section 8 because now I was not only a homeless person, but I was also a senior. And I'd gone through this medical program and they'd housed me at Martin Luther King. So now I could actually get Section 8 housing. And, uh, but until I got my housing, they put me in that homeless shelter for a year. And they said I'd only going to be there for a few weeks. That was, anyway. <laughs> boy, I got stories to tell you. So anyway, I was a philosopher poet the entire year I was there and uh, uh, at that homeless shelter. And uh, anyway, so, okay, so here we go. The song you're going to hear, I got to go find it on my computer. I know it's in there somewhere. It better be. What do we have now? And it's, a, like I said, it's a beautiful romantic song of, of two people who've who have an entire world of hell around them, but they have the ultimate, I'm getting all choked up thinking about, they have all this love for each other. Okay, that's it. Philosopher poet out of here. Clouds crumble and the wind melts warm as mountains evaporate into a mirage. My vision fades and goes. Where we dreams lie the charcoal trees as we cough on the smoke and choke with tears.
replaced by a young recruit. He's working his way up the ladder and he's got loot. I hope that he does well, although I don't give a hoot. As he pushes aside the picture of us with his brand new polished boot. But don't try to see me in the 